Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for new Catholics, non-Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, the history of the Bible, the canon of the Bible, church councils, <laughs> the early church, up to the Reformation, and beyond. And it was in reading and digging deeply that I encountered for the very first time the Catholic Church in its own words, from actual Catholic theologians. And doing that reading, I realized that what I thought I knew about the Catholic Church and what Catholics believed was based in large part on misinformation and, more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I have one of these, I think, you know, cornerstone episodes of the show. One of the ones that I personally will, I know, remember and cherish and look back on for years to come. And hopefully, you will also enjoy this fantastic conversation. I am joined by Marlene Watkins, who is a volunteer at Lourdes in France. This, this is a place of pilgrimage, a place of miracles, a place where, where our, our Blessed Mother uh, appeared to a young, un- unimposing, uh, un- uneducated French peasant girl. And well, from there, and then the rest is history, <laughs> incredible history that it is, the history of, of miracles, uh, of deep faith, of healings, of just miraculous, unexplained, and truly fantastic and fascinating things taking place at this really unassuming place in the middle of Europe. And Marlene's here this week to really unpack what's going on there. I'm calling it the mind-blowing miracles at Lourdes, and guys, they're going to blow your mind. Uh, Throughout this episode, the conversation with Marlene, I was, gosh, having chills (laughs) in tears in my eyes, just floored by some of the things that she told me and unpacked for us this week, and you're going to love this conversation. Now, for, for me, as a non-Catholic Christian, Mary was always a confusing thing, right? And as we began to approach the church, took, took baby steps towards becoming Catholic and looking into the church, it was those miracles of Mary that often, over and over again, floored me. How could Mary have miracles? How could she appear? How could she do anything if she was just who we thought she was as an unassuming woman, as evangelicals? You know, a, a footnote in the biblical narrative. Important, yes, but somebody who could who could pray for us and accomplish miracles? What was that all about? <laughs> These stories, this episode really just doubles down on that idea of, of who Mary is and how she points to Christ, how she can pray for us and does pray for us. And these miracles stand as testaments all on their own, and they are amazing. I think you'll love this episode. I really hope you do. This conversation and others on this show are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time donors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. You guys are the ones that help to keep this show going and growing week after week. It's not my full-time job, and so you guys help to support this thing and make it possible again and again and again. So thank you for your support. Those links, if you want to support this show in any way, are in the show notes for this show. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Marlene Watkins on the mind-blowing miracles at Lourdes. Guys, you're going to love it. Please listen and enjoy.
Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're listening on podcast, thank you. Please follow the show wherever you find it and leave a rating or review if you can. That helps to push the podcast out to new listeners and grow and expand the whole mission and mandate of this thing. So thank you. If you're watching on YouTube, hi, thanks for watching. Subscribe to our channel, hit the bell. We're producing videos every single week. Awesome content. Don't miss anything by hitting that bell so you're subscribed and get notified when new videos come out. This, my friends, is going to be a fantastic conversation. I am very much excited. Uh, my guest this week, I'll let, I'll let her introduce herself in a moment here, is Marlene Watkins, and we're talking about Our Lady of Lourdes, Miracles at Lourdes. Uh, her book is The Everyday Miracles of Lourdes, out from Sophia uh, Press. It's fantastic. Marlene, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, and hello, and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and where you do it, if you can, to introduce yourself. Well, thank you for having us. We're always um, happy to, to talk about Lourdes and share the message of Lourdes. So um, for those who, who've been, um, bienvenue, welcome back to Lourdes. And for those who are new to learning about Lourdes, it's in the southwest of France and it's in the Pyrenees Mountains, which is kind of the natural border between France and Spain. And in 1858, the mother of God came down from heaven and appeared in this little cave in a little niche above it to a little girl named Bernadette Subirous. And she was 14 and she was um, illiterate. She couldn't read and write. Um, and she was really a a, a lovely young girl, but from a very um, poor family that had fallen on hard times. And she was out trying to collect some firewood and in hopes that maybe um, she could gather enough to sell some and get some bread for her family to eat. Uh, she was there with her sister and a friend. They went further down and then this brilliant light appears and a beautiful lady is formed out of the light. Um, and the lady has uh, rosary beads. And so Bernadette and the lady make the beautiful sign of the cross together, um, which is calling on the Blessed Trinity, the three persons and one God, and then they pray the rosary together. And Bernadette notices that the beautiful lady, um, she can't hear her at all, but she said her um, fingers move on the beads, and she moves her lips to the prayers, but not the Hail Mary prayers. And so they pray the rosary together, and she's deeply moved. Um, And from that time forward, she says she always prays the sign of the cross with all of her heart. And, you know, for a lot of us, it's a, the, you know, we pray the sign of the cross and we're, or it's a, like a blessing, but sometimes it becomes a good habit or habitual, but it really is a prayer unto itself. And Bernadette says, if we pray that prayer well, we can go to heaven because if we think about it, we're calling on God, the father and God, the son and the Holy spirit. And so they pray the rosary together. In fact, the first two times they meet, they um, have only silence. And it's only in the third time that she speaks in a really um, gracious voice. And you're the cordial Catholic. So she's very cordial. It's just, <laughs> so kind. Would you do me? Um, would you like the favor to come here um, for 15 days? And so they have 18 heavenly meetings all together in 1858 and extraordinary things happen in these meetings um, that uh, miracles begin to happen right away. Um, there's so much that goes on that in itself is a show all by itself and maybe more. Um, and so throughout all of this, there's um, incredible things happening. And the bishop is um, paying attention. He then does a four-year investigation, a really thorough investigation into these apparitions. Is, is Bernadette credible? 
she's the only one who could see the beautiful lady. Um, you know, what are these people who claim they've had a miracle? Did they really have something happen? Because a miracle is, um, is something that's not possible by us. Like only God can do it. And, you know, for a lot of us, if we look into the gospels, you know, we, uh, we see the people who, you know, they, they come to believe in Jesus because he performs these miracles. Now he does it, of course, for the person that he's doing it, but more so that we can have faith and know that he is God. And so, so um, these miracles continue to happen so we can continue to know he's God. And for some of us who maybe oh, we're kind of wondering, we don't know, it's sort of like St. Thomas the Apostle, you know, he has to put his hand on and know and touch that there really is Jesus. So if we're kind of wondering ourselves, um, don't feel bad, you just come and touch these miracles at Lord's and you can be the next St. Thomas for today. <laughs> so it's sort of like the gospel fast forward for us to have these miracles that continue. And Lord's is unique because they have a medical bureau there with a physician who's on, on, on site and anybody who claims that they've been cured. And it's really kind of wonderful the way he describes it. He said, most people go to the doctors when they're sick. He said, I'm a unique doctor because people only come to me when they're cured. <laughs> to tell me about it. But his difficult job is that he has to prove the person was sick because now when they come to see him, they no longer are, they're healed. So they go through this very strict criteria called the Lambertini. And it's the same thing they've used um, when we hear about, you know, the looking for the intercession of a miracle uh, to pronounce someone as being a saint. So a publicly recognized holy person in heaven um, here on earth. And so he, you know, uses this criteria as they have since 1858 in Lourdes, but they have in the church um, since um, I think it's Pope um, Benedict XV, maybe is where that came from. But so it's really strict rules that they use. It has to be, um, you know, a sudden instantaneous cure. It has to be spontaneous and, and long lasting. It lasts forever. Um, and it has to be something that couldn't have just happened by itself. So there's a strict set of rules. They follow all of them. And out of the over 7,000 people that have come forward to make a claim that they've been cured or healed, there's hundreds of thousands, probably millions who've, who've had cures, but not everybody goes and makes the claim. But out of those who did, there's over 7,000 cases. And of that, the church has pronounced 70 um, as miracles because the Medical Bureau doesn't make a, a pronouncement of a miracle. There's no miracle in the medical dictionary. That's a scientific <laughs> diagnosis that they say, we we see that this person had this disease or this ailment, and they no longer do. So what they can say is, we just can't explain it. So it's an inexplicable cure. It's then a bishop who proclaims that it's a miracle, because miracle is a holy word. So what would the bishop that would say, this is from God. God has intervened. This is from him. He's the author of this. This is a miracle. And so, you know, there's the 70 and there's and some of the miracles are still living now. And if you go to Lords at certain times of the year, you can meet them or see them and you can Google them on the Internet and find them. And those are really extraordinary um, miracles. And many of them out of the 7000 are also extraordinary. But for different reasons, they did not proceed forward um, to be proclaimed as a miracle. It doesn't mean that something miraculous didn't happen. It doesn't mean that something extraordinary didn't happen. It just means it did not go through the process and then have a bishop ultimately say that because it's the bishop where the person comes from who makes that proclamation. And so we it, who go to Lourdes have the privilege to go. We're a witness to so many miraculous things that don't go to the medical bureau always or don't make it through the process for different reasons. But they're they're no less profound. They're really 
extraordinary. And, you know, they have to have a scientific um, evaluation of something that's physically measurable. So it has to it has to be some kind of an organic disease that can be x-rayed or it can be blood tested or somehow it can have a scientific documentation. But, you know, if someone finds a healing at Lourdes that can't be measured by science, it, it's really profound. In fact, I think they're the sweetest miracles because the, you know, the body we're here, it's temporary for us. It's the soul that's forever. So, I mean, someone who really, who discovers God, deepens their faith in God, or is healed of other kinds of wounds that are not physical, those are extraordinary miraculous events and that's what the book is about is about 20 different people very different i think you've read the book it's they're very very different stories none of them are anything alike and um they're really extraordinary and the one thing that the 20 people have in common but i i guess i didn't really think of it that way until they were all together um stacked in chapters in the book is that they're all very humbled by this extraordinary event that happened to them. And um, some of them are really personal, as you've read, really intimate, painful stories of a lot of people. If you're going because you you're need healing, you probably have suffered something. So um, in that, that they, you know, they, they go, they have this extraordinary experience, but it's very personal. And when the book came about and asked each of them, would you be willing to have your story shared in this book? And of course, all of them did read their chapter. And sometimes they'd say, oh, it was a Tuesday, not a Thursday, or make some small correction or change. Um, but of course, it was done to be very accurate. Um, and, you know, it's very personal, like I said, because there's some really sensitive topics in the book. And they just said, I, I just can't deny this grace. I I, I can't hide it. It's just so profound. Um, even though I'm a very private person and nobody knows this about my life um, outside of maybe their family and some of their families didn't even know fully their stories. Um, but they said, I, I, I feel compelled to share that because someone else might be suffering like I was. And I want them to know that these graces happen and that they're there waiting for us in Lourdes. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love too that you call it everyday miracles, as if miracles are just every, you know, in Lourdes every day, there's a miracle. Yeah. It's no, no, no big deal, right? <laughs> they are. Yeah. And well, because there's millions of people who go, of course, everything was different in the world during COVID. So there was a, you know, it was an extraordinary time where things were not usual, but um, usually, I mean, there's millions of people who go to Lourdes every year and, you know, on average 10 to 20,000 people a day, especially between, um, you know, the about March or the, it's, it's it happens around um, the beginning of Lent all the way through this, the beautiful summer months and then into November 1st. So during that time, there are 10, 20,000, sometimes 40, 50,000 people a day that come um, to um, the grotto, and they're not all Catholic. Um, they're they're of all different faiths, and I I used to be very curious why I would wonder why are these people here. I I would think of this as a Catholic shrine, although I myself I did not go to Catholic schools. I went to public schools, and um, when I went the first time, my best friend had her business card plucked out of a fishbowl, and she said, "Let's go to Lourdes," and I said, "Oh, I." I love that story with the three little children. Well, that's Fatima. 
<laughs> Portugal, and it's a different century and a different message. But you know, same lady, different dress. But you know, so I think for for those of us, you know, the the discover lords are go. And when I meet so many people, for example, I was in Paris and um, taking the taxi to the airport, and the taxi driver asked me where I was going, and I said, oh, "I'm going to the south of France. I'm going to." They say Notre Dame de Lourdes. I said to Lord, Lords, and and. And he said, oh, I love this place. And I was so pleased. He was just beaming. He was just, I could see him in the mirror. He was looking at me as he's driving. And he said, uh, as you can see, I, I'm a Muslim. And I said, yes, I can see. And he said, um, uh, he said, but I love this place. It's my favorite place. And I said, I do too. I said, why is it you love this place? He said, because there's peace there. He said, I go there and there's holiness and peace. And he said, it's the one place I can go and find that every time. <laughs> and so it's my favorite place. And, you know, I've asked many others why they would go, especially if they, they weren't Catholic and they would be telling me about that. I'd say, and why is it you, you chose to come here? And I say, well, it works. You know, if if you come, you will have a miracle. God will give you a miracle. And if God doesn't choose to give you the miracle for whatever reason God has, or if they don't believe in God, they say, that then you will get something else. Uh, you'll get peace. You'll get acceptance. You'll get whatever it needs. And I think a lot of people say that. They say that um, they didn't get always what they asked for, but they always got what they needed. So I think it depends on the person and their situation. But, you know, it's just a, it's a unique place. And um, and extraordinary things happen there every day. And I have to tell you, in the beginning, someone said, oh, you can't use that term, everyday miracles. You know, miracles approved by a bishop in the church, and it's very formal, and you can't use that um, expression. And um, and so I talked to the medical bureau and uh, the bishop at Lourdes and different people at Lourdes, and they said, we, you know, the, the medical director said, I love that title because I I like those words, because he said there are really profound graces that happen here, and they are extraordinary, and they're not to be discounted or, um, you know, um, not acknowledged. He said it, it's it's a different kind of um, grace, so he, he liked that everyday um, miracle, so it, it's uh, that's what we began to call them, you know, it's a Really, they're profound. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I love th th these kinds of topics. Uh, Marlene, I was telling you before we began recording that for me, you know, I, I'm a Catholic convert. Listeners to this show, many are converts or new Catholics looking into the Catholic faith, uh, people on, the, on that spectrum. And for me, I began blogging about my journey in 2014. And one of the, one of the very first things I explored, because to me this was very, very curious, is how in the world there could be things like Marian apparitions and things like miracles attached or associated with Mary. Because for us, and I was evangelical in my case, Mary was was holy, she was important, but that was kind of it. She was almost, I hate to say it, but a footnote for us as evangelicals in, mm -hmm. in the salvation history. Of course, she gave birth to, G to Jesus, but we th there was such a downplaying of Mary's role in, in the Protestant church, in, in the the circles that I was in, at least, and often for many evangelicals, this is this is the case. That when we came across something that involved Mary and miracles, it was like it stopped you in your tracks. It, it made you stop and go, "What? Like, mm -hmm. how? How is this possible?" Mm -hmm. I remember too reading some stories of 
of exorcisms and how exorcists would often also call in the name of Mary or pray or pray the rosary or, or a Hail Mary. And that would often scare a possessed person or you know, cause a demon to tremble. And again, you go, but wait a minute, what? <laughs> so I love these kinds of stories where, where Mary is involved, an apparition, and the, the, these miracles occur because it, it makes you have to stop and kind of reset or rethink about your belief system. Well, why isn't Mary important to me as evangelical if clearly there's something going on here with Mary? So I want to talk for a second about the genesis of this. Tell us about the, the status of, of kind of who Mary was or how even the Catholic world viewed Mary at this time. Because I know this is really important you know, dogmas attached to to the Lord's as well in this apparition. So <laughs> not that you can unpack Mary's thinking, Marlene, but why why here? Why now? Why at Lourdes? Why did that this happen this way in the first place, do you think? Those are fabulous questions. <laughs> really and they're the heart of you know, for many of us, even Catholics. So I, by the way, married um my husband says I married a pagan because <laughs> he was he was not baptized. And I remember when, you know, um we went to meet the priest about getting married and I was nineteen or very young and I came home and I was in tears and I said to my mother, I don't know what a pagan is, but I don't like the way father said it. Because <laughs> he said, oh, you, you have to get a dispensation. He's a pagan. Well, I didn't know what that meant. That <laughs> he was not baptized. So my husband is a convert now. So a lot of the questions you're asking are questions that someone who doesn't come from a Catholic background has. But I have found so many of us Catholics have a lot of the same questions. Um, as we mature and grow older, we begin to look and read and discover, or we're asked to defend um, our faith in conversations and encounters with people. So there's a chapter in the book, chapter three, and it's this wonderful guy uh, named Pancho. And um, he want, he marries a Catholic, and he comes to um, to Lords to a really extraordinary way that that even happens. But he has the same questions. Like when he came into the church, I didn't realize this, but he said, you can come into the church and you can avoid Mary. You're not supposed to, but you can get away with it. He says, because there's so much richness um, in studying the Gospels and studying um, the history of the church. So you can kind of uh, find a way to avoid her, so to speak. He said, but the one place you can't go and avoid her is Lord. She's she's just everywhere. But, but what's covered is, you know, he had prayed in earnest um, through a different series of events. You know, Jesus, if she's really that important to you and you think she should be important to me, then let me know. And that's how he winds up coming to Lords and volunteering. And then he gets there and he says, she's just everywhere. And every question that he had, which was really sincere, it was genuine questions. Um, you know, he he really came to know, he said, he was very deeply touched when he said, you know, the, uh, the last words of our Lord is, behold your mother. And he said, I, I realized I, I have to be beholden to her that she's so significant in his life. The first miracle, you know, the miracle of Cana, the first miracle comes because she asks um, our Lord at um, the wedding at Cana. And the priest said to be joking once, he said, well, you know, married people, they need they need miracles because <laughs> 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 very easy. So the first one happens there. But, um, you know, and she do whatever he tells you so that we don't hear a lot about Mary in the gospels in the bible the blessed mother because she's there and she's present um but she's 
woven in there throughout um, throughout it because she's just present all the time. So they're not writing about her as she's always there with them at that time. But um, she is significant. And a lot of people have the confusion that we worship her uh, and we do not. We worship, you know, we worship God. We worship the, you know, the, the Trinity. But it's um, three persons in one God. But we honor her because he he showed us that and he gave us that and he gave us our mother. It's the beauty of our faith too, is that we have a father, God, the father, and we have a, a mother watching over us, but she is woven throughout, um, you know, the very first miracle. And, you know, the other thing I think that Pancho said in his chapter, um, it's written in there about him is that, you know, he said, he's, you know, asking people to pray for him while we're there. And um, so please pray for me because he fesses up right in the beginning. I I don't have a devotion to her. I don't understand why you do. I go right to Jesus. I, I don't um, I don't need her. But, you know, I can see that you all love her. So that's nice, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And he said, but if you will pray for me this week, I want to be the hands and feet of Christ and help the sick that are here. And, and of course, our lady's there the whole time with Jesus, especially in his suffering and his passion for us. So he's there that week and he realizes that he's asking people to pray for him. They're asking him, will you pray for me, Pancho? Will you? And he said, I, I can see that there's this beautiful value in praying. And when you ask a saint to pray for you, it's a proven friend of God. That's what a saint really is. It's somebody who has proven their friendship and they're publicly acknowledged by the church for that. Um, and so it's, you know, we say we have someone here who's a proven, effective intercessor. We know that she asked Jesus um, at the wedding at Cana and he performs a miracle. So we know she's She's there. She's never leaves him. She's always right there, right to the foot of the cross. He asks us to be holding to her. And if we ask her, she's she's pretty effective there. So so we know that um, she can ask. She's not performing the miracles herself, um, of course, but she can ask and um, and she has that maternal protection for us. So um, I think for a lot of people coming to know her, the dogma that you were referring to, I think is so significant. It's something, you know, a dogma is something that Catholics must believe. So it's something we we have to believe is as our faith. And there are the Marian dogmas. They were something always known. You know how that is. We go through the period of enlightenment and we start to question things, things the church has already known. We start to investigate them and look and science and different things, technology develops and we begin to look at things in different ways. Um, and one of the examples about that is the miracles. You know, there are some miracles that are there, for example, for tuberculosis. Um, they were cured before there was a cure. Now, today, there is a cure for tuberculosis. So, that doesn't invalidate that miracle back then. There was no cure for it, but there is now. So someone who gets treatment for tuberculosis wouldn't qualify, of course, today. So as the technology changes and are, you know, there are different things that happen throughout time, there can be things we come to ask questions about or know. And one of them was the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. So for all of us here who are Americans, the bishops here in the United States appealed to Rome for this dogma before it was dogma. So what does that mean? And by the way, there was a poll of Catholics coming out of church. They did a some kind of a Pew Research poll um, several years back, and they asked people, what was the Immaculate Conception? And nine out of 10 Catholics in most places thought it was the incarnation. 
they thought it was Jesus um, incarnate in Mary, but it's the Immaculate Conception is Mary immaculately, purely conceived in the womb of her mother, St. Anne. And so that means she's perfectly pure vessel to give birth to the Christ. So she is this, she's, um, she's favored. It's an extraordinary favor. The only one in all the history of humankind. Um, she's favored to be like, a, she has like an inoculation of grace. If we think of that, like she's preserved um, through her son from the moment of her conception, she is stainless. She is without sin. Um, so that's a, an extraordinary and profound dogma of the Catholic Church. And when the beautiful lady appears to Bernadette, she never calls her the Blessed Mother or Mary, or she never gives her any name. She calls her Akiro, and that means in Bernadette's little dialect, um, that one. It's like you'd say that, that thing, that one, um, Akiro. So she never gives her a name. And, of course, the pastor's wise. He wants to know at one apparition where she is. Um, Bernadette, go tell the lady, or she says, um, go tell the priests, I'm sorry, the uh, beautiful lady says to Bernadette, go tell the priest to um, build a chapel here and have people come in procession. So by the way, procession and pilgrimage are the same word, and that's why we go to Lourdes, because she asked us to do that. And when Bernadette runs to tell this to the priest, um, he's stunned, and he he says, well, who is this lady that wants, who gets to ask that? And notice our lady says priests with an S. That means the church, the, you know, go and ask the church. And um, on the 25th of March, which is the day that we celebrate the Annunciation, that's the angel Gabriel speaking to um, our lady and uh, telling her that, of course, the, the beautiful prayer of the Hail Mary, full of grace, which Pancho, by the way, discovers that the Hail Mary prayer is not something Catholics invented. It comes out of the book of Luke. So um, it's on that feast day, Bernadette feels a pull to go to the grotto and she runs there. The beautiful lady is waiting, illuminated. And um, Bernadette asks her name three times and then once more because the priest wanted to know who is this. And she she says she, um, she bowed her head she, and then she looked up to heaven, raised her hands and said, I am the Immaculate Conception to Bernadette. So Bernadette had never heard this dogma, this name before. And so she repeats it over and over and over again. She leaves her blessed candle from the church burning there in Thanksgiving, which is why we had candles there because she's listening and waiting for our prayers and we're waiting for the answer. And she runs all the way to where the, um, the priest is and she bursts through the garden gate and the very imposing tall, it's unusual to have such a tall Frenchman in the South of France, is standing there and she blips out, you know, I am the Immaculate Conception. And he's stunned, <laughs> stunned. And he says, what are you saying? She says, I, I am the Immaculate Conception. That, that's her name. And he's so stunned. And he said, how do you know? And I just picture Bernadette. She's just this, you know, pretty simple mountain girl, pretty gutsy. And, um, you know, she's got a sense of humor, but she's pretty practical. And I can just imagine she probably put her hand on her hip, but she just says, because I repeated it over and over again. So I wouldn't forget how to say it to you because all the way there, she kept on saying it because she'd never heard it before. And she was afraid she would forget how to pronounce it or say it to him. He is so stunned that she's saying this dogma to him that he throws her out. He said, get out. And he slams the door and they, they ask later, why did you do that? And he said, because I, 
I didn't want to cry in front of a little girl because he just was, he was sobbing. He, he realizes that's the mother of God talking to this little girl in the grotto because there's only one person who has this title, this dogma, which is that Mary is conceived immaculately, conceived immaculate conception without sin. And this is something we must believe. And the church had affirmed that in 1854 and this dogma, and he knew Bernadette couldn't read and write French, let alone Latin. She didn't speak French. She spoke the local dialect of her valley. So he just knew it had to be from Our Lady's lips to Bernadette's ears. And um, it was just so profound that she um, came and said that. And that was um, an affirmation to the Holy Father and to the church that this dogma being proclaimed, that it was that it was a blessing. And then, of course, miracles are happening. So the miracles are happening, you know, just before that. So it's affirmed that that's, that's who's talking to Bernadette and that's who that is. And that's who's interceding for um, these miracles. Yeah, and I think the fascinating thing is this is not that long ago. It's fairly modern. Right. Mm-hmm. And and miracles, of course, were began right away. And the investigation that took place was quite, quite thorough. And again, in relatively modern times, this isn't something that's this lost in the dark ages through myth and legend. This is stuff that's quite contemporary. We have we have evidence. We have re, we have notes. We have we have primary sources and those kinds of things. And those miracles begin right away and, and continue on until today. When every you, day. You, every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. And you talk about the. the the medical framework that that's set up to investigate and to look into these miracles very thoroughly, and the yeah, there's a thoroughness that the church has before proclaiming these things to to be a miracle. Apart from all the many that aren't proclaimed after that, that tons of of research that aren't reported, aren't researched to this level, right? Never mind those ones. You you have a, a, a ton of ones that are super verified. <laughs> verified right like really really scrutinized and investigated right they are and of course we have the technology today so miracle number 63 for example we we speak a lot about him because we know him personally his name is Vittorio Michele he comes from Italy and we have his x-rays he gave us his x-rays so we have them and it was really it was 1963 so not that long ago I'm obviously much older than you are but you know in my lifetime um he was in the military he was um, he had difficulty putting pressure on his leg. He started walking with a limp. They told him to be tough, and he was. But after a while, he just couldn't stand on his leg. They put him through an X-ray, and there was this horrible sarcoma. And it actually, ultimately, that cancer ate through the bone, disconnected his leg from his hip. And if you look at this X-ray, and it's out online, you can see it, or um, if, you know, we share virtual pilgrimage experiences where you can see that documentation. And and you look at it, and even if you're not a radiologist, a radiologist said that to me, you don't have to be a radiologist to see what you're looking at here. There's, this is disconnected. There's, you know, this mass that's there, this cloud of um, a tumor. And um, so he goes to Lords on a stretcher, and he told me that he was so near dying that they were afraid he would die before he got to Lourdes from Italy or that he'd die on the way home. And so they took him from the train station immediately down to the water of the grotto. It's the spring where our lady tells Bernadette to dig in the ground. Well, she doesn't really tell her to dig her. She said to drink of the spring. So Bernadette has to dig to get that. And so the, the water still bubbles 35,000 gallons a day since then. And it was before that undetected, this little spring of water, natural spring water in the cave itself, the grotto, and that we call the grotto. So um, they take him on a stretcher and they, he's got a body cast on to try to stabilize him. And they lower him into the water and he says, 
I knew right away something happened to me. I knew it. He said it just it rushed through him and he felt it. And and the he said I never took any morphine ever again. And what's extraordinary about him is it's 1963, but he never had any chemotherapy and he never had any radiation because his cancer was so aggressive. This uh, person was so aggressive that it wouldn't have been effective for him at all to have any treatment. So they just gave him morphine for the pain, palliative care. And uh, that's what makes him so extraordinary. They've got the x-ray where the bones are eaten through and destroyed and his leg is disconnected from his hip. And then he goes to Lourdes, he comes back and they, nobody believes him. He said he's, you know, everybody's still taking care of him in palliative care, meaning comfort care, as if he'll do it, but he doesn't take the morphine. He never takes any again. And he said in the middle of the night, he was tiptoeing down the hallway in the hospital on his body cast, he's tiptoeing down the hallway, and a doctor is stunned to see him because he sneaks out of his bed at night, and he's still bed bound because they're telling him he's dying. But he said, "I, I know." That's a, so he's tiptoeing down the hall, and the doctor says, "You, you can't stand up." He said, "I am standing up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to you." And they said, "So they put him through the machine, and now we have these X-rays of all the bones completely regone perfectly." And you know, we can put a man on the moon. We've got all this technology. Look, we're talking to each other from where we are in different places. And people are able to see this or hear us driving down their road in their car. And so we've got all this great technology. But um, we can't regrow bones like that in a person instantaneously. We do not have that technology today, according to doctors we know from Harvard and Mayo Clinic. I mean, really prestigious physicians. We, we cannot do this. We cannot instantaneously grow these bones in this place like this. We just, we can't do it. So he, it was very clear. Of course, they did a very thorough investigation into all of the claim about him. And again, what's really extraordinary about him is he's a very humble guy. He's just a regular guy. He got a job after he got out of the military, he got a job working in a factory, um, standing on his feet all day in 12-hour shifts. And he comes every year and lifts people on stretchers to go to the baths the same way People lifted him. Now that he's getting older, the last few years before COVID, he started just greeting the people at the train station. The key came in on the trains. Um, but, you know, he's really a, a wonderful guy. And, you know, for anybody out there, any St. Thomas is out there, future saints, uh, you know, that you want to come and see somebody, come and stick your fingers in this guy. He's, you know, he's the real deal. And he's right there in all of the scrutiny, which was very extensive over years, um, is there. You can go into the medical bureau. In fact, Dr. DeFranchisci, who's the current medical director, invites physicians and medical professionals in, come. And there's 7,000 files here. Come and look at these 70. Please just come and see. And if you can explain to me how that happened, please do. Um, that, you know, it's, it's astounding. So we have that kind of documentation that we can look at in Lourdes, but it's the other people that this book is about. Um, there is somebody who was in the medical bureau for 10 years. She's a chapter in the book um, and she will not be proclaimed uh, um, a miracle. Her cause is, is, is resting there in the medical bureau. And for different reasons, it's not going to, it's in the book. It won't be moving forward, but um, you know, it, it doesn't make it any less that she was there with a feeding tube in a wheelchair and, and then instantaneously she wasn't 10 years later and she hasn't died and um, she goes back and volunteers every year. So she's a really extraordinary story herself. And, you know, it's, it's maybe there for us so we can see her so we can know that these things still happen. But I, I think some of the things 
for me, there, of course, I respect the miracle, the last miracle number 70 that was just pronounced a few years ago. Sister Burnett, she is lovely and she is like a spitfire. She's just really phenomenal. So to go and see her too is really wonderful um, for all the different miracles there. There's, you know, another one who volunteers in the piscines and comes. She had Ewing sarcoma as a child and her cure is really profound. Um, but the people in the book are ones that either didn't go to the medical bureau. Some of them did, a few of them did, or they're um, people who had something that can't be measured. So, for example, we've had veterans who have PTSD or the wounds of war. Um, you can't x-ray when someone finds peace. Um, you know, we've had women come in um, to the proceedings repeatedly that no one knows they had an abortion. They don't tell anyone. It's a deep wound to them. And I love the expression. One of the chapters in the book, her, her name is Sheena. She's just so lovely. And, um, you know, she described it as, you know, she had a hole in her. It just nothing would fill it. And she converted, became a Catholic. And she said she knew after her first confession and uh, coming into the church that she was forgiven. But she said, I just had this hole in me and it didn't matter what I did or it just couldn't fill this hole until she went to Lourdes and she was volunteering. And she said that a liquid grace filled the hole. And um, that's what I mean about these personal private stories. She had not shared this story um, about, you know, how this came about for her as a young teenager and um, not having a choice because she was underage, that the decision was made that she would have the abortion by her parents and she didn't get any any vote about that um, or any say in it. And so um, it was forced or dragged there, literally kicking and screaming. And um, But she said it just... Um, just always stayed with her this this trauma of this emptiness and um it's through lords that 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 was filled for her yeah i i think the amazing thing here is that now your book captures these very modern stories, contemporary stories. I mean, people we can go and 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 you mentioned, of course, miracle number sixty three and this uh, gentleman. That, that's that's insane. First of all, <laughs> you just regrow a bone, right? But th- then these people we can we can go and touch. I mean, with their permission, I don't want to poke anybody. This is the courts of Catholic. But I mean, honestly, joking aside, real people, real real people who've experienced real things, who are there, who who have been there, who are alive today, who have. These stories, I mean, this is this again is the kind of thing that stops that non-Catholic Christian in their tracks and goes, "Well, well, something is happening here." And if it's if if Mary appeared here and pointed to her her son and is pointing us again and again and again to Jesus through these miracles, through through her prayers, I mean, what <laughs> what what do we make of this? If not that Mary has an important role, I think that's that's. Uh, amazing and love stories uh i love stories of these people who are having conversion experiences who are deepening their their faith yeah. deep deepening their their love for mary through the experiences like this while while already being catholic tell us more of these stories maybe some of your favorite stories for, uh you've captured in this book i mean i sorry i'm sure they're all your favorite maybe that would be really too hard to to to, to parse out but uh but with our audience in mind some stories that that, that you think are just just got com- compelling. I don't know. Well, I, I think these stories happened over um, over twenty years. Yeah. There's, you know, and there's so many more. There could be, you know, um, a priest said to me, "Oh, we we need to make, you know, everyday miracles of Lourdes with Father John Paul Mary because um, he has from his experience of coming with us to Lourdes." 
all the things that he has encountered. So there are so many, um, but these just are happen to be what's our 20th anniversary of bringing the sick to Lords and going to volunteer at Lords and sharing the message of Lords. And it happened to be that there are the 20 chapters. So, um, and each one is, like I said, so different. They're, you know, different kinds of um, needs that people had, you know, so people coming back to the church and the sacraments of people um, coming to faith um, and entering the church or um, people finding peace, finding healing. Like we said, you know, as somebody who's um, really been devastated or broken through different things of life and they find um, you know, a spiritual repair there. Um, and, you know, Lourdes is, like you said, it's it's a Christocentric shrine. Um, when you enter inside the beautiful vista, when you see it, you come in, there's not a statue of Mary up front. It's Jesus Christ on the cross. So it really is um, to Jesus through Mary. And, um, you know, sometimes, too, there are people that um, have different wounds of life, maybe from their childhood or, or different experiences. And, um, sometimes the, you know, it can be overwhelming to know and, and the sinfulness of our own lives, or, you know, we can just, uh, you know, it's hard to gaze upon the sacrifice that was made for us on the cross. Um, but some of us under the gaze of our mother, it's, uh, we can find that solace and then she brings us where we need to be. But there's, you know, there's a chapter in the book, um, that was about a man in Hurricane Katrina and the extraordinary miracle that he calls out, which I really think when you're screaming into the wind and you, you're pretty sure you're going to die. Um, and you know, the, the dead bodies flowing by him, several of them, it just, and he shouts out into the storm, help me to Bernadette. And she does help him. So I think, that was just really extraordinary. And I sort of chills just thinking about it. And uh, I wasn't there, but, you know, as I was writing his story, I had lost contact with him because with Katrina, everything was lost. There were no phones. There were, you know, there's no internet or, and um, when I did finally find him after I wrote a chapter of the book and I was just so happy to see him because he's such a wonderful man and um, was just so happy to, to reconnect with him. And I said, I, I've never been in a hurricane. I wrote what you told me. And I, I hope that it's, you know, it's true to the experience you had, um, because I only know what you said. And I was, as I was writing his chapter, I was near the oven and um, my husband said, um, don't forget to, you wanted to preheat the oven for dinner. Writing. And I said, it's 135 mile an hour winds. <laughs> the, the, the levee broke, the water's rising. He goes, okay, okay, stay safe. Go to high ground, I'll turn on the oven. <laughs> because I was, felt like I was in it. I was, and so, I knew what this man told me was true and genuine. I of the of how Bernadette came in and helped him in out to to get out of and you know when the levee broke and the water was just overwhelming. So I knew that and I believed it. But I went and looked and I read the newspaper articles from New Orleans and you know from the area about Katrina and everything he said was so accurate. And then I thought, well, that's just a newspaper article. So, so then I went to the weather service <laughs> and I looked up the national weather service and the records and everything that he said was so accurate. Um, even to the time of day, everything, because it was so dramatic and profound what happened um, to him there. So that was really 
um, amazing. And that's Bernadette interceding for him. And, um, you know, he has a hard time talking about it without crying because he's a, he's a big, you know, tough guy from the ninth ward of New Orleans. And he's very well-spoken, um, Harvard gentleman, but it just was so profound for him. And, um, and he just loves Bernadette as his best friend. And then at the last chapter in the book is um, about a young nurse who comes with us um, to Lourdes before COVID happens. So this is very recent. And I loved her expression because she's very honest with me. And she said, um, you know, she's just lovely. She's really a great technical, technically skilled nurse. And she's amazing coming with us on the pilgrimage because we bring people who are very, very sick on ventilators and, you know, and not just oxygen. We bring people on ventilators that's and fly them all the way to France. And people who are, you know, quadriplegia, just we we bring some very, very sick people. That's their dying wish to go. It's their heart's desire to go. And we have brave, courageous medical people pay their own way to come and help them and make that possible. So it's really amazing. And so she had come up and signed up for the first time. And she was just really like the, the, the MacGyver nurse. She had a backpack with everything she needed. She was really thoughtful. And um, I was talking to her about how is it was she came. And she she said she just really had to be honest that um, she was just looking, you know, it was kind of a feel-good thing to do in the south of France. She was kind of empty in her life. And, um, you know, so she decided to use her nursing skills and do something good. And, um, and she came. But the real truth was she had not been to church in over 10 years. She said, you know, it starts out innocently, especially if you're in a profession where they have seven days of work. She said, you just pretty soon, 10 years went by and she hadn't been to the sacraments. And she said, I, she said, I, I felt I was still probably a Christian, but, you know, not, you know, just really disconnected and kind of empty. And so she came to Lourdes on her pilgrimage and she was so moved by um, everything there, the Eucharistic procession. For many of us, the first time we've ever been in one. Um, and there's another chapter in the book about a woman who has an extraordinary experience when she's in a coma. She, um, you know, through the Eucharist and the procession at Lourdes, she says, that's the secret. You want to go to heaven? Because that's how she was in this coma dying. She um, you know, she said she found herself in Lourdes watching the procession and joining it. And she said, that's the way to heaven. Follow, follow Jesus and you'll get there. And so she, her, her chapter is really extraordinary too, Cora. But so this nurse, Lindsay said, I, she was just so moved and she wanted the Eucharist. She's in, in Lourdes, she's removed by this. So she goes to confession for the first time in over 10 years. And then we asked her to come back the next year with a woman on a ventilator and the woman's husband. And she said, it's pretty, you know, very technical to have this woman travel internationally. And this nurse is responsible and, you know, for all the, the technical parts of her equipment with her husband traveling. And um, this woman's husband had not been to church in, well, he hadn't been to the sacraments in over 50 years. So she said, that was me last year. She said, but I was only 10 years. She said, it's hard. It's hard to get back after all of those years. And so she was able to help him because she understood that. She said, you're just five times longer than I, you know, you're just me four years from now. I didn't come here. So um, he does return to the sacraments. And the woman on the ventilator said, that was my, that's what I really wanted. You know, she's on a ventilator. She's very ill. And she said, I just want my husband to be in the sacraments. If anything happens to me, it's expected to. I, I just want to be, know that he's in the grace of the church. And 
that he has peace and that faith to get him through. And so that was the answer to her prayer, although the nurse didn't know that. But now she's like, she said, she comes back and she said, I'm like one of those evangelicals. She said, <laughs> I just want to tell everybody, you got to go back to church. You got to. So she said, because a lot of us there are working on Sundays and we're not going to mass. And so she said, I just was like, you know, one of those old blue haired ladies in the back of the church that's one tries to get everybody to come. And so she's just on fire for her faith. And little does she know she's going to return home and this little um, virus is going to strike. And so she is on the front lines of the whole, you know, drama unfolding, the shock drama of COVID. And, um, you know, she said there's, in, in fact, she had seven of her patients die in one shift alone. She had 35 of her 100 patients die on her floor. Um, there's just all these things that are happening. It's, the details are in the book. but And so she said, I got, I got to get a priest in here. So she shops around, she calls all over the place, and she finds a Franciscan priest who gets permission that he will live like a monk away from his brother friars, and he will he will go and anoint anybody that he can go and see that he will do that. And then he'll live like a monk until we, because remember in the beginnings, we don't, we don't know what's COVID's going to happen. We don't understand it's unfolding. We can look back now and say a lot of things, but at the time. And so this, you know, she said the, the friar, she, the friar comes in and, and, you know, they were like a dynamic duo Um, at Lord's volunteers. We were sending her rosary beads and scapulars. And she said, you know, before you really couldn't say much about the faith. She goes, but at this point, Catholic or not, everybody wanted somebody to pray with them. Their families couldn't see them. She said, so I took what I learned in Lourdes and put it into my into my practice as a nurse in, in this hospital. And she said it was so beautiful because people who had been probably reluctant to ever ask for prayer in the past, when COVID came, that barrier came down. And they were grateful for that prayer. They were grateful. So she said that, you know, the priest would come in. They taught him, you know, they had a protective gear. He would have to take it all off, take it all on, disinfect everything to go to the next room. So this was very arduous. And, you know, that. so it was just wonderful. And then she winds up with COVID herself. Very, very sick. And she said that's when Bernadette comes in because um, Bernadette, when she was so sickly in the convent, um, they have like a little, um, like a sheet draped over for the privacy of each one of the sisters in the infirmary back in the 19th century. And she said that little white chapel became, um, you know, that became for her, uh, her own little chapel of her suffering that she was offering. And so she said that's really when it, it really came full circle for her as a nurse to be um, a COVID patient herself and the profound impact that Lourdes had had on her of bringing her back to the church and then for her to be able to bring the church to people who couldn't go um, at the time of their of their dying. Um, and one thing I thought was really touching and significant for anybody who is, you know, had someone who died during COVID and they were separated from their family members. Um, you know, she said one woman came in and she has to catalog everything that they own because the, the nurse became everything. They were the family. They were, you know, they wound up becoming the chaplains. They, in the end, because it is the more and more things happen, it's just the nurses that are there for the most part with these, with their family members trying to Skype with their, you know, their family members who aren't allowed in the building anymore. And she said, this woman came in and she, she said, I'm going through things and there's these beautiful rosary beads. 
So she said, I wrapped them in her hands. She wrapped them tightly in her hands. And I prayed the rosary out loud the whole time I was caring for her. And it just makes me cry. Because <laughs> I, goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. You know, there are people praying for us. There are people praying all the, we just don't know it. And I think, you know, if she didn't go to Lord's, God could have chosen another way for her, but that's the way he chose. And so, um, you know, it's just, so that's a very modern story. It's a very current story. And, and, you know, in these 20 chapters, these 20 people, they each have a different, um, you know, they're in grief, you know, they're, they're, they're suffering. Um, There's just all these different um, issues that are something that all of us can relate to because one thing we all have in common is suffering. You know, if we, if we're, if we're here and we love anybody, we're suffering because there's all different things that happen to us in life. And this book just shows the, the value of suffering and the grace, the, you know, the, the virtues that can come, um, you know, undeservedly. I say these are, we're all just ordinary people who went to Lourdes and had these extraordinary profound um, experiences and they happen every day. They happen all the time. Uh-huh. So, you know, I think for people who it's, it's, I have to say there's some really serious, like it's the, the topic of abortion or there's some really serious things in the book, um, you know, a lot of suffering in the book, but there's ultimately the grace that's given. And it's not uh-huh. always, like we said earlier, it's not always what they asked for it, that they received, but it's what they, they didn't, they didn't necessarily get what they wanted, but they got what they needed. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that that's that's partly part of the the miraculous nature of it, right? God gives them what they need, and not what they think they need. Sometimes, right? I think that just a part of that story, the the woman on the ventilator whose husband is the one that like that's the miracle in that story. <laughs> like not not her being healed and, and getting up and walking away and walking back home and getting back in the plane and flying home and being miraculously healed from being on a ventilator. No, it's it's her husband coming back to the faith like that. That's the miracle, and oh, that's yeah. that's profound. Like that's yeah. deeply profound. That's amazing. And it gave her this joy and peace, yeah. and it just gave him this faith and joy in that. You know, um, was it just an, an extraordinary gift for both of them, and for those who know them, and for um, you know others, and then the nurse caring for them. You know, it's just um, really. It's, these things are happening. We call them like they're like they're just so Lord's like they're Lordsian, you know. And those of us who have the privilege to go, um, you know, again and again, there's these things are always happening. So if somebody's struggling or suffering, um, you know, go to Lord's, <laughs> contact us, and and there's there's a grace, um, there's a grace there, and they happen all the time. You don't have to get on a plane and go there for that grace. God is not, you know, bound or limited by time or distance um, for the grace, but we just know that this is a place, it's the epicenter, um, you know, of, of um, healing of body and of soul, so to speak. It's like a it's like a little city state of miracles um, for the church in the world in the south of France. Oh, that's fantastic. I have to ask one more story because you teased this one. And the the way you summarize this in the back of the book, you kind of annotate each little chapter and give it a little summary. You write, mm-hmm. an unsuspecting gardener, unknowingly allergic to bees, is stung in the throat and lands in a coma. Like, that's a that's fantastic teaser for the chapter. Uh, yeah. I, this is a great story. I think maybe if you want to unpack it a little bit for us, because 
it, it's like that teaser line alone is, is worth the price of the admission to, to the story, but it's a fantastic story. What happens there? She's just a lovely woman also, um, Cora, and very sweet and soft-spoken. And what's really unique in her story, I think, is that it happens to be that morning she goes to the gym to work out and, um, you know, to exercise. And the woman next to her is kind of, you know, rolling her eyes at her because, um, she says, you know, you're crazy to fly all the way to France just to volunteer. You can volunteer down the street. She's kind of dismissive of her. And um, she says, aren't you afraid to fly there? And, you know, this. And after September 11th, you know, there are a lot of people who chose not to fly again or took years before they were flying. Just like COVID now, there'll be people who maybe won't change back to the travel they used to do um, or it take them a long time before they do. And so she was, you know, kind of critical of her flying just to be a volunteer over there. But it takes all these volunteers coming to welcome the sick to make the sanctuary possible. So um, she says, well, I'm, you know, I'm ready to go. And she said, you know, I'm not afraid. And, you know, um, if God wants to take me, I'm ready. I'll go right now, really. And she happens to say that that morning, right then and there, a few hours before she's stung by the bee. Um, so she says this kind of predictive statement. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready. He can, God can take me. I'm ready to go. And um, her friend kind of rolls her eyes. They walk out and they say to each other, oh, see you tomorrow, because they think they will. We all think that we have another tomorrow, but we don't all. Uh, you know, many people don't have a tomorrow unknowingly, and she was one of them. So she goes home and she's pruning the roses um, in her front yard. Um, she has the timing just right so that she can then go in and go to mass. She goes to mass every day in the middle at, at noontime. And she said that she didn't really make the connection that she was stung by the bee. She said she'd been stung once before in her life and um, she, you know, could have swelled, but she didn't think anything of it. And she really didn't realize this. So um, she said that she really felt very like uh woozy and she couldn't she didn't know why something was really really wrong but she didn't know what it was and so she went to the house and um there was something on the television so she knew what time it was and she just all of a sudden winds up on the floor and um she has her rosary beads and she realizes that she's dying that she's um you know having difficulty breathing and and right away she remembers what she said and she said to the Blessed Mother, oh, um, I'm sorry, I'm really not ready. <laughs> she said, so, I thought I was, but I'm not because my son's deployed and I have to be here when he gets home. And she said, besides, I promised that I would go and volunteer for you. So um, please help me, help me. And so she's praying the rosary to the Mother of God saying, please help me um, ask your son for me. And usually when you pray the rosary, it's you're meditating on the moments in the life of Christ. And um, so you're really, it's a meditative prayer. And um, then we use the words out of the, of the book of Luke, you know, hail full of grace, the Lord is with you. So you're asking for this intercession. And it takes usually about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Some people pray it faster in 10 minutes. Some people take a half an hour and read meditative scripture with it. But, you know, for her, this rosary took hours and this is something that's really profound at the end because um, when the ambulance comes, she's blue and she's non-responsive and um, she's she's in a coma. They find the bee sting on her neck and um, realize what happened. And they bring her to the hospital. She's in a coma and she's in the ICU. And um, she said in that experience, she said all of a sudden she was um, in France. 
she doesn't realize she's back in a hospital bed in California. And she said, and I'm up above watching beneath me, everybody following the Holy Eucharist and the Eucharistic procession. And she said it was so wonderful because it's often very crowded and, you know, you're all kind of, uh, you know, can, and she said, but oh, I had the best view. It was so wonderful. And, and she's so excited because she realizes this is how we get to heaven. This is what she's doing. She said, oh, and, you know, she's so excited, but she's really in, in a coma back in California and her body is. And so um, she snaps back to her body and um, she wakes up. Um, friends of hers have brought Lord's water into the emergent, into the critical care unit. And uh, she tries to call and tell us, um, this is why we go to Lord's, because we're learning how to get to heaven. And, uh, you know, she describes all of this thing about the Eucharistic procession, about the Holy Eucharist and about serving in Lord's. And she does go back into a coma, but then she finally does wake up and recover. And the doctor says to her, there's no way that you were stung at 11.45 a.m. and didn't get here to this hospital until 4.30. It's impossible. You, you, would, you could never live that long. You're so deathly allergic to bees. And she said it was as if praying this rosary that took her four and a half, five hours to pray. She said it was as if time was suspended during this prayer and while she was praying she got to go to the eucharistic procession well the whole time she's praying and this profound experience happened so the doctor says you're just absolutely this couldn't have happened and she said i'm telling you i know what time it was because of what was on television and i had planned to go in at that time so she said they can't really explain it. Um, and she did things like, you know, she called the hospital and said, what's the, uh, what did they do? What drugs did they give me when I came into the hospital and I was in the coma? I said, you don't need to have that detail. <laughs> so we don't need to know the drugs they gave you that when you were in the coma, but because um, we'd wanted to be very accurate in the book. So it was really, you know, that's just extraordinary. That can't go to the medical bureau. I mean, they, um, they can't really, you know, they say, oh, because she was stunned by a bee and she was in a coma and she lived. But, um, you know, it's probably not something the medical bureau would follow through because they could say it's the drugs that they gave her that saved her. And they they say it couldn't have been 1145 a.m. when you were stunned, but she knows what time it was. So um, and she spoke to her husband on the phone. So there there's a way to track that. So um, but that was a really again, it's an everyday miracle. It's just something really extraordinary and profound. Um, and she credits our Lady of Lords. That's who she was praying to. So. Um, pretty amazing and she's amazing she's a lovely woman and again she's very quiet she wouldn't um like sheena and even poncho all they would they're not people that would go out there and you know sing their song and a bunch of people out there in public but they all said the same thing when they were i contacted them and said you know would you be agreeable to have your story shared so that people who can be inspired by it or people who can understand and 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 know that these things really happen it's real and you're a real person so the picture of each person is in the book so their story is there and their pictures there and then they each one of them signed and said this is accurate this is what really happened wow. so Amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Does she think she was actually there? Do you think, or or just see like then? Because that's. Either way, either way, that's amazing. I think that's incredible. A really good question, but she had someone who would come every year to volunteer, so yeah. she knew Lords well. Yeah. And she said at the time she didn't think, "How? Why am I up here looking at the top of people's heads?" Yeah. She was just so excited to have such a good view <laughs> and to be able to really be a part of it. And, and it's just so. 
she said she was there. That's amazing. She said she was. And I, I, I believe her. I do. Cause I know her and she's, she wouldn't make it up. I mean, it's just so extraordinary. So, I mean, her records are in the medical records are in the emergency room in the hospital. I, well, they destroy everything after seven years now. So um, she's just passed the seven years. Um, but I, I believe her, I believe she was there. Um, but I think people could read it and say, well, I don't know. I, but I don't know how you could read all 20 of these chapters and not, not see that there's a pattern here of these extra, these people don't all know each other. I mean, and this is just 20 of them. So I just think they're really profound and touching in moving stories of, of faith. And they come from all like, you know, they're converts or they're people away from God. They're people who um, are suffering or struggling, the different things that are happening in their lives, but all of them are really extraordinary stories they're not uh, there's nothing lightweight in there <laughs> it's pretty serious uh, no it's it's incredible and you know i've i'm i've got chills i have tears it's everything every emotion that i can experience i'm experiencing here as you're telling these stories because they're they're amazing like these are really moving stories mm-hmm. a, a real miracle is happening here happening here now there now i mean mm-hmm. it's amazing i think that's fantastic i'm so thrilled to, to speak to you this is a fantastic yeah. episode and i hope the listeners will love this i've lo- i've loved just listening to you unpack these stories never mind reading your book tell us a bit about what you do what your group does uh, and how people can get their hands on this book and experience this these stories and 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 lords firsthand if they're if they're interested in that kind of thing what, what do you want to tell us well thank you for asking about that because a lot of people don't realize that they can go to lords um it's kind of like the the best kept secret of europe for you know over 150 years people were making this journey to this holy place and it was you know even archers to come from italy uh, over 100 years ago and even now there's flights involved or trains involved and they're coming from all over france and throughout europe but they're and they come with these um, there are associations in the church called hospitalities and they bring the sick from their diocese or their country or the Carmelites bring from Ireland, bring people from all over Ireland. So they, they come from different places in different ways and they're organized. So there's a grace in it because they're in associations in the church under the authority of a religious order or a bishop or a cardinal. And they come every year and bring the people who need the grace of Lords with them. And they have volunteer, you know, as we do um, doctors and nurses and physical therapists. And um, then they have lay people like me. I'm not a medical professional to come, but you know, a mother of five boys and grandmother and 16. And so I've changed diapers and, um, you know, taking care and helped. I took care of my grandmother, you know, um, as she was dying. And, you know, so the, I have the practical experience of being a mom or a grandmother um, or a daughter, or, you know, granddaughter. And so we're just lay people who come with the medical professionals and we come together as volunteers and make it possible for the sick to come from the United States because um, it's really difficult. We come several times a year. So it's really difficult to travel on your own for some people, especially if they need kidney dialysis or if, you know, for example, insurance won't cover kidney dialysis in France. Why? Because they said nobody can go to France who's on kidney dialysis, which of course they do because we bring them and we know it. But they just can't believe that that's really going to happen. So um, we make it possible. So we need volunteers who are lay people who are willing to come and help. Um, We have to serve all of the meals. It's a hospital bed facility right there in the sanctuary um, overlooking the grotto. It's where Pope John Paul II stayed, St. John Paul, when he was there um, as a pilgrim. So 
Pilgrim Pope. So um, we need, it takes everybody. We have teenagers who come with us in a catechesis program in June. So they learn the message of Lords and they, um, then they live it. You know, they are the hands and feet of Christ. It really is the gospel animated there in Lords. Um, and, you know, for the young people, they tell us, that, you know, it changed them. We still hear from them all these years later, you know, from 20 years ago, we're still hearing from teenagers who said it changed the course of my life. I became a doctor, I became a nurse, or I I entered the military because I wanted to serve or, you know, so we have program for young people. We have volunteers who are lay people. We have medical volunteers who come um, and we're always looking for people who are willing to lead and and help um, to lead these groups. So we're nonprofit. We're a 501c3 here in the U.S. and a 1901 in France. So um, we're there in this mission. So we share the message of Lourdes because you got to know there is a Lourdes before you go there. So we share the message of Lourdes, bringing the message to people through a virtual pilgrimage experience, which was wonderful to have that blessing and a gift during COVID. And then um, we bring the sick to Lourdes and we bring volunteers to Lourdes. So we're sharing the message, serving the sick at Lourdes in the sanctuary, and then bringing the sick to Lourdes um, and so we have a big group that goes usually in June and October, but we're still a family and it's all of us together staying in that facility. So it's really, it's an, you know, an amazing grace. <laughs> so somebody could write a song about it. But, um, and it's, uh, you know, and our charism is, you know, to, to the graciousness of Our Lady and humility of Bernadette, we're there and our charism is family expressed in love. Um, but the love is really the center of our charism. So it's um uh, it's a beautiful, extraordinary experience. It is a tax deduction. If you go and volunteer with us, you can write it off on your taxes. So you do get to go to the south of France, like the nurse said, and you know, kind of feel good. But um, nobody does it, for, I don't think, for the tax deduction. Um, and, but it's everybody pays their own way. But there is a fund. That's another chapter of the book. It's called Andrea's Wish. So Andrea comes with us on the pilgrimage, and uh, just before she dies, this young woman, beautiful young woman, and it's her wish. When she comes back, she writes a letter. I wish everybody could go that needs to go. And people donated money um, in honor of her. And they said, Andrea's fund, there was no such thing. And so we created that fund in her name and still honor her. It's over a million dollars has been given to it to bring people to Lourdes. Because a lot of people who are sick, are they've already spent all their money and resources they have on medical care and yeah. being out of work. And so a lot of people, you know, I mean, they, they may own their house and still have their car to drive, but they don't have the money to, to make a trip to Europe. Um, and some people don't own a house and don't have a car and they really want to go. So we've had people come with us from all over the United States and beyond because there is nobody um, to take people yet from South America or from China or, um, you know, from different places in Asia. So we have people that come with us from, you know, all over the place, really all over the world. And it's just such a life-changing week. I don't know. I don't know a good way to describe that. It's just, a, <laughs> it's, it's heaven on earth. And that's what they say that, you know, our lady came down from heaven and it's where heaven touches earth is Lord's. So, um, and there's a lot more to the apparitions, you know, of prayer and of penance, you know, pray for sinners. That's what our lady um, asks Bernadette. So there's really um, the fullness of our faith. And um, I have to say too, there's, um, no, no judgment. People come with us that are uh, really broken and bruised, and that's um, that's our privilege to be with them and for us 
to be together. So we've had people come with us. Everybody thinks it's impossible. Uh, Their doctors think it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And we're the proof of that. You know, the everyday miracles in the, the, the everyday miracle of bringing people all the way to France um, that don't think it's possible and they get there and, and nobody leaves empty handed. It's, it's a great, you can't go that far and, and see the mother of God and not um, be blessed by that. <laughs> the the book is Everyday Miracles at Lords. Where can people go to find, is there a one-stop shop to find information on what you guys are doing and to find the book and those kinds of things? Where, where can you to point the yeah. people towards? Thanks for asking. So uh, we have a website and it's, so we go to Lords, of course, and we are volunteers. So Lords volunteers, so www.lordsvolunteers.org. And um, if you go there on our little homepage, there's a little book up there at the top row. It looks like a little book with the pages. You just click on that. It brings you to the link that sends you to um, Sophia Institute Press, EWTN Publishing. It's who published the book and English. And then if you're in the United States, you order from them. If you want 10 books or more, you can contact us. We have a link there. Contact us in the office and we'll work with you to um, get you a, a discount on those books because um, we have a, a parish that wants to use it now as a study for Lent this year to go over the different chapters. And they're, hopefully they'll meet some of the people from the book that be willing to travel to their parish. And then um, if you're if you are outside the United States, you can click in the Sanctuary of Lords sells it in their bookstore. They're going to sell it and they will ship worldwide. If you speak French, the book is available in French in Lourdes for a French publisher. And this year, God willing, we will add um, Spanish, Italian, um, Mandarin, Chinese, and German. And then I think there's the possibility of a few other languages, and those will be out this year. And again, those will always be available through this bookstore in Lourdes and online worldwide. You can order from them. That's fantastic. I'll put links in the show notes for this show where people can find those those different things. Uh, Marlene, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I've enjoyed your stories. This topic is just fascinating and fabulous. You're a great storyteller. So thank you so much for being here. I want to say God bless you and the work you are doing for the church. It's phenomenal. So thank you and thanks for being here uh, on the show this week. Thank you. Thank you so much to have us and um, to share all these wonderful things that are happening um, around us and amidst us and maybe aren't aware that you bring them to people. So thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. That was amazing. Oh, I hope you loved that conversation with Marlene Watkins. The funny thing is, I, I tried over email, I tried to, in the beginning of the show a couple times to get her to introduce herself, and she just wouldn't. It's just amazing. Uh, humble to a fault, I think, and I think it's amazing. You know, she points over and over again in the literature, in her emails, uh, even in the press release for, for this book that I got from Sophia Institute Press, uh, that this is not about her. It's not a book about her. She's actually a character in the story. She's a, One of the chapters of the book is about her, but again, again, points back to the work they're doing at Lourdes, and that's where you should focus, on, on those stories, on that work, and on that miracle, on, on Mary pointing to Christ. I think that's amazing. And what a fantastic testament to a person's integrity and their and their their soul and their faith 
That's amazing. I'm grateful to have had this conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed it. The CourseWithCatholic.com is our website for show notes and links and things you can dig deeper into this kind of stuff. Links to Marlene's stuff and, and the work that they do there. It's all in the show notes and those are in your podcasting app or at thecordialcatholic.com. Your feedback can come to cordialcatholic at gmail.com. We're on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Twitter at Cordial Catholic. We are The Cordial Catholic on Facebook. And please do find and follow us on your podcast app of your choice. Follow us there and your ratings and reviews will help to push the podcast out to new people. We're on YouTube at youtube.com slash The Cordial Catholic. And find us on Patreon and on PayPal. Those links are in the show notes if you want to help support this show and keep this thing going and growing. Guys, thank you so much. That was amazing. Talk to you again next week. Please pray for me. I'm praying for you too. And God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial Kathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.